0: Welcome to another episode of our IEA podcast. I am your co-host Kevin Dagger and current president of IEA. And with me, I have my co-host Quinn.
1: How's it going, everyone? Thanks for tuning in again. Quinn, it's been a minute since I spoke to you. How's step studying? Uh, dude, you know what? It's uh, a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because you know you feel like you're really ready to tackle everything that's coming. But at the same time, there's a lot to take care of in this short amount of time. So. Uh, Yeah, I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about Steph in coming episodes, but it's been a time, dude. And I'm living in Texas now. So I've been moving around a lot from Grenada to Cali to Jersey and now here in Texas. So I'm sure we'll get into that at some future episodes, too.
0: That's awesome, man. And you brought Ralph with us, too. Ralph, you're
1: also studying for Steph? Yeah. um, Quinn's currently living with me up in Texas. Um, We've been trying to survive the cold out here. It's been uh, it's been very, very awful the cold. I'm not used to it yet. You think some of you guys are eating mac and cheese boxes every night? I love um, fresh, actually. Yeah. Yeah, we made also, a fire meal yesterday. I also thought about the other day
0: texting Quinn, like, hey man, don't forget to eat your PB and J sandwiches in the middle of steps. Down.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I also have with me Anthony. Anthony's on the eboard with me with IA this term as well.
2: How's it going, everybody? Uh, Anthony Lenzi here. I'm your Grand Marshal for IEA, uh, just doing Term 5, so pretty excited for this episode. We have a very special guest, kind of uh, the catcher in the rye, if you will, right? You're going to have him in Term 1 right from the get-go, and then you're going to end with him in Term 5, so it, uh, it's full circle. Very, very wholesome content today. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Term 5, just as a quick little update,
0: Anthony and I are currently doing Term 5, um, it's a, it's a little intimidating of a, of a term, but we're, we're kind of getting the hang of it. Uh, we're looking forward to getting right into the step studying pretty soon. We took a nice little break over winter break. It was cold, but it was nice, and we're just ready to get back into it. And what better way to start term five than bringing on one of our special guests? We really look forward to having him on. The one and only Dr. Leonardo
3: Darso, I can let you introduce yourself. Uh, Good morning, everybody. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for having me on in this uh, podcast. I'm Dr. Leo Dasso, uh, Professor of Pharmacology at the Department of Pharmacology, Microbiology, and Immunology. And so, you know, you will know me in term one, term four, and term five, as, as Kevin said.
0: Yeah, welcome. Welcome. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for taking the time to sit with us and chat, too. I really appreciate that.
3: No, it's a pleasure. It's really a pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah. So the first question I want to ask you, um, and I think this is a question everybody has been asking since term one, if you don't mind, (laughs) what's your nationality?
3: (laughs) Well, I was born in Montevideo, Uruguay. I grew up in Montevideo, Uruguay. Uh, I do have dual nationality, uh, Uruguayan, Italian, because my father was Italian, and so I have Italian ancestry. So I got the Italian nationality, uh, you know, both. We were Italian. So, but I'm I'm Uruguayan. I never live in Italy. I have family in Italy. I have ancestry in Italy, but I'm I'm from Uruguay, uh, born and bred. Well, so you speak Spanish and Italian, I assume. Spanish is my my mother language. I picked up here and there watching films. I mean, interestingly, Italian was not spoken in my house uh, by the time I was a child and only spoke Genovese, the dialect uh of Genoa, uh, Gen- where my 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 father was from with my grandmother uh, you know this is a, it's a very peculiar uh, dialect very hard to understand <laughs> rather different from italian so I, I i learned italian you know reading books they were italian books watching films and and so on and uh, and so i can uh, get by uh in, in italian but but i'm not I'm, I'm not fluent have you had any critiques on the island yet I have actually. Uh, I I think Antonio's pizza is uh, is pretty decent, and uh, and there is this uh, pizza place in Marion. Uh, yes. if, if you've been there, uh, and uh, that this they have quite a variety of different toppings, so it's uh, quite a an interesting place to 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 have pizza. But I, I've known you this is probably your before your time, uh, where Antonio is now. There used to be the Boulangerie. And uh, there was a guy called Luca, uh, a guy from the north of Italy. And I think that was the pizza, was also very, very good. Uh, probably you didn't have to, the, the, the opportunity to, to sample it, but it was very good as well. Unfortunately, no.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah the, food, <laughs> the food here can be a little rough. So, as, as an Italian myself, I, I'm like borderline anorexic. But thank God we have Antonio's <laughs> and Nat's pizza. It definitely gets me by.
1: Yeah. And Rick's. Rick's is really good. But I'm a fanboy.
3: <laughs> Riggs, I, kind of uh, yeah, yeah. I, I I don't think I've had uh, pizza from Rick's, Actually, I don't, I don't, I don't know and Well, Well,
0: maybe awesome. on the next MCQ session to lighten the load, I'll bring you a box of pizza from there.
3: <laughs> very good, very good. Yeah, there is there is this place uh, just coming out of campus on the right hand side. This sort of wooden uh, house, and we had pizza from there once. It was very very good as well. So you've if, been on the island for quite a while then, right? Since you've seen 16 years, yes, sixteen yes, years, almost sixteen years. Yes, so I came here in two thousand and seven, uh, and and I, I I mean first my first destination when 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 I was hired by SU was Newcastle. Actually, I was uh, in the charter class. I had the honor of opening the the the, the Newcastle the Northumbria program uh, in two thousand and seven in the spring two thousand and seven. So I was there the whole. Semester and then in August I I came to to Grenada and I've been in Grenada since then.
0: Oh wow! So how's the how's the living experience been in Grenada since you've been here for? for quite a while i know sgu over the years has has grown tremendously with oh, oh tremendously
3: not only the campus but the, the 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 environment i mean true blue i remember from from the roundabout in in, in the in the highway up to here but basically all all bush <laughs> and now it's basically all these uh buildings and buildings and and options and they contain a park i mean it's been an enormous development very very quick but the campus i mean when i came uh Pat Adams didn't exist, Belfort didn't exist, uh Charter Hall didn't exist. Uh the building I am on didn't exist. Uh this is Morris Albert. You no, know? so the, the the growth of the campus has, has been unbelievable. And it's been in such a short period of time too, it's like just in a decade. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of, I, 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 saw this this uh, building being built back in two thousand and eight, and it was unbelievable. Also, the speed with which it was it was built was unbelievable. So, uh, in two thousand and seven, didn't exist. In two thousand and nine, we moved to this building. Uh, so, so yeah, the development has been very, very fast, very impressive. Actually, this campus is a beauty in many, many ways, and, and very impressive, really.
0: It is, it is because when i first got here so i was online during ms1 and i um i had you when i was in zoom when we called it zoom land during term one but when i got here in term three and i walked up the hill to look at campus and as soon as you walk up the hill and you're at the security gate and you're walking in and you just see kind of almost like a bird's eye view of the whole campus it kind of it does kind of take your breath away a little bit it's like wow look at this like, you know, just look at this development of a university.
3: It's, it's, it's really nice. I believe, I mean, I mean it's, it's, it's hard to find a, a more beautiful campus than, than this one. If you go to YouTube, there, there are several videos about this campus saying, know, oh, this is the most beautiful campus we've ever seen. You know, not said by people from SU, but <laughs> other people who've seen other campus. It's, it's, really a, it's really a beauty in many ways. And the location, everything, you know.
0: No, for sure and it does help that the community or campus life itself campus is really big but it's nice that it keeps the community itself nice and tight so that students get the opportunity to meet one another and collaborate and you know share the stress of school together whereas a lot of my friends who go to the medical schools in the u.s um their medical schools are within cities and sometimes the medical schools are really dispersed so you have the office of admissions two miles away you have the lecture halls you know somewhere super far so you don't really have the opportunity to collaborate or network with students or professors for that matter so that's the one thing that i really appreciated about coming to sgu especially with the campus itself and how everything is just localized into one center is that it gives one of us the opportunity to just see everything kind of unfold with how everybody handles school and the professors. And it's nice watching professors walk to the to lecture hall with their sandals on sometimes like, OK, yeah, you know, this is just such a cool environment to be in.
3: Absolutely. Do you have
1: a favorite place of campus, Dr. Dasa? Maybe like a favorite view or maybe like a favorite area that you like to relax? Well, I think
3: that uh, no doubt the view from Belfort ground floor uh, oh yeah, it's magnificent. Now, when when they started, not not sorry, not not Belfort, uh, Modica, sorry Modica, Modica, I said Modica oh, yeah. the, the ground floor of Modica. Uh, when they were started uh, to starting to build that building, I thought, oh my God, they're gonna block the the view, but they did it in a great way. They left the the ground floor open. And they built, you know, first floor, second floor. So you can sit down and that view of, of the sea is fantastic. Now you can see the sun set from there. It's, it's hard to beat. I think that would be my, my, my favorite view. Yeah, there's definitely uh,
2: worse places to study medicine or to work. That's for sure.
3: Yes. Yeah. No. No. Absolutely. No. No. The, the whole the whole environment is is very conducive to you know good styling concentration. You know, I think socializing, making friends. You know, it's uh, there are many many positives. No.
1: What so about yeah, around the uh, island? Uh, Have you seen any amazing views around the island? Uh, not just on campus, but I'm sure you traveled all around.
3: I've been around, yes, I've been around the island uh, several times. You know, uh, you have Levera Beach, all the north so there's the very nice beaches, well, Grand Anse beach, well, Granans Beach. Uh, I mean, there, there have been the Granella is full of, of beautiful spots. You know, really, Granetang. You, know, uh, you know, the rainforest. I mean, it's, it's uh, there are many, many. Many many beautiful places to to see, you know. Grand Anse, sure the monkeys. Fantastic! I've seen the monkeys. Yes, uh, <laughs> not 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 many, but I, I've seen a few, and they run the grand time. Yeah, yeah.
2: What would you say is the uh, biggest reason that keeps you at S.G.
3: Well, I mean, the the first of all, this this uh, the, I've been here for sixteen years. This is the longest uh, job I ever had in my life. You now I'm moved around many times i lived in uruguay i lived in in, in in the us i live in sweden i live in england and i i kept moving and then here i i uh, settled down you know it's a very uh, it, it's a it's a place that uh, you know in terms of the, the the workplace i mean allows you to do things as best you can you know, there's there's no too much stress, there's no pressure. So uh, you have all the infrastructure, you have facilities. We have an amazing uh, library. Now the facilities library gives us here all the online uh, sources. You know, we have access medicine, a leap God. we have a linking code, we have I mean all all these all these uh, literature searches. So you can prepare your your lectures in the best So there's no uh, reason there's no excuse not to not to prepare your lectures do your job the best you can. it's, it's a very uh, supportive place in, in in that way. Also there were uh, different uh, aspects in terms of my life you know uh, I got married uh, here I met my 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 wife here uh i got married and i built a house so i became an adult in in sgu <laughs> <laughs> that's never that's never bad that's a good thing congratulations <laughs> so that's that's uh, of of course uh, another the reason why i feel so happy so comfortable so well in the in this place so-
1: I also think that a lot of the professors have a great relationship with each other. Um, I'm sure you can attest to that, right? Like uh, the professors, maybe they might have dinners together at each other's houses, go to parties together at other houses. That was your relationship with the other faculty members.
3: Correct. Yeah, that's that's quite true. That's quite yeah interaction between uh, between the faculty within departments and, and, and between different departments and uh, that is very true. So it's a very collegial uh, environment. It's very easy to you know connect with with uh, other people you know. That's the magic of SGU not only are
1: the students getting along, but our faculty, everyone all, all around. We're just, you know, we're here for each other. We're here to build family.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's a very collegial, very integrated environment. It also makes it very relatable for us as
0: well. When a lot of us after an exam, we're at the peak of our stress studying, and then we go out to do a dinner, you know, get a bottle of wine, get some pizza, enjoy some food, and then a couple of tables over to us. There's just professors also having dinner. And it's nice to see that we're not the only ones who take the time to take care of ourselves and have a good time. It also shows how the same energy that we put into studying is probably the same energy that professors are putting in and delivering the content that we need to know to prepare us for the future. So it makes it really relatable to us and it makes us feel like, okay, we really are a community. It's not just professors are isolated from the students. Um, there really is, you know, some integration there.
3: Absolutely. And, and that that kind of interaction with the students is what uh, in a way is is so rewarding for 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 faculty. You know, I mean the the, the you know teaching is, is, is communication. You know? So if, if you get that that feedback from the students that they, they, they appreciate what you do, that's what keeps you going. You know that is absolutely what what is the most rewarding aspect of. teaching. That's why I love teaching, you know because it's it's, it's, it's a social uh, activity, you know. So I spent so many years doing research, you know alone in a dark room looking down a microscope. And then eventually I, I thought, you know, I cannot do this anymore. No, <laughs> the, uh, You know, it, it, I'm a social person. I cannot really be, in, you know, isolated uh, in, in this way. It's not, I realized uh, for many years, I thought that was my future. You know, I when I was a kid, I, I always wanted to be a researcher. And uh, but then after a few years, I, I I thought that that was that was not really for for my nature, you know. I I and I went back to to teaching, which was actually what I did first in Uruguay, you know. And and so and I realized you know this is what I enjoy. It's, it's, it's much more fun than than. I mean, research obviously is a very valuable, very noble activity. <laughs> And, and but I think I've done it enough, and then I I, I felt you know and now I can I can move on to other things, and I moved on to, to teaching, which was actually my my first love in a way. You now that was the first thing I did, and I enjoyed. Yeah,
2: uh, I looked into some of your research. I saw some of it, it was um, hypoxia and hypercapnic acidosis on calcium signaling in carotid bodies. It's quite
3: an. Oh, that is my my best project. That is a project I think uh, I, I I love the most. It's a beautiful. You you chose exactly the, my my favorite, uh, work. I was, <laughs> I was in Oxford. Yeah, the carotid body uh is is an amazing little organ. a you know, little tissue, unbelievable. It's a little thing. Uh, we had to dissect it, you know, under a microscope. a tiny little thing uh and it's packed full of it has norepinephrine acetylcholine dopamine serotonin it has everything it's like a little brain you know so uh you know we have it here uh in the in the in the, in the carotid or in the, in the um somewhere here in the, in the carotid and the senses uh, oxygen levels, sex senses, pH levels, senses, CO2 levels. And when it says that the oxygen is too low, for example, sends a, a signal to the petrosal nerve, and then you breathe a bit faster and you compensate, you know, it's an unbelievable little thing. So, so I, that, I did that in Oxford for, for a couple of years. It was a very interesting, very challenging, uh, because the, the, the drug you're using is hypoxia, you know, so you do a dose response. Uh, with hypoxia no so so total anoxia is like the plateau is the maximal excitation of the thing and then you start adding a bit more and more oxygen and then the, the 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 organ responds less and less you know This is fascinating. And it's very difficult because we are surrounded by air, no? So you have all the tubing, you know, you, you kind of, you, you have the flow of the buffer on the chamber and and, uh, how do you stop the air from coming in? So we, we would have a tank of argon and blowing a little bit of argon on top of the chamber. So argon is heavier than air. So it forms like air. And blocks the air from coming in, very sophisticated. It was really a very, very interesting, very challenging in terms of the design of the experiments type of project. I really enjoy very much. It's a very nice, very nice uh, paper that we got out of, out of that. Yeah, well,
0: That's like some serious engineering skills too, though, right? Yeah, <laughs> we, we,
3: we, we had, we had a, a, a chamber that didn't work very well. And then I found a paper. Uh, a German paper No, and the Germans are very good at designing you know little kind of tools and stuff. so I send them uh, an email and they very generously send me all the the, the plans, of the chamber. No? And so we, we replicated that, that chamber. It was like a funnel uh, where we put the, the carotid body cells, uh, individual cells at the bottom, and then we cut the argon on the top, and, and it, it worked beautifully. We were uh, very grateful for, for that German group that very kindly sent us the, all the plans. <laughs> Did
1: you send them a thank you letter?
3: Yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, that's the thing about research. People are very generous. Uh, You know, there's no sense of competition. So you're asking somebody, I I cannot, I cannot get these results. You know, can you tell me, give me some advice. People are very generous. You know, and that's a beauty of the, of the, of the research community. You know, in general, you know, the idea that you're collaborating, uh, not competing. So if, if you ask people for help, they will always give, give you help. Feel
1: like i'm inspired I just to enter academia sorry i feel like i'm inspired to enter academia yeah this is mm-hmm. so collegiate and so collaborative and
3: <laughs> yes i mean no it has it has uh, i mean obviously that i did it for 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 many years you know so it, it's, it's very exciting uh type of work and you know? also so you know you are discovering things uh, you know, it's a, it's a very, very interesting thing, you know, and, and so, and I remember this uh, many, many experiences like this of collaboration, I remember my, my first experience was in Sweden and, uh, you know, it was my first experience in doing research, you know, it was completely a newbie. And, they, and I couldn't make uh, something work. And so I saw that, they, they, I found these people in, in I was in Stockholm. These people were in Copenhagen, had done something similar. So I wrote to the to the guy, this was before email, before, you know, we faxes. We were faxing things, no? <laughs> and or sending letters, or the phone, no? And I said, look, I mean, and the guy said, oh, no problem, come to my home. Come to Copenhagen for the weekend, and we can chat about this. Oh, wow. and the, gen- the gentleman invited me, so I took the train to Copenhagen. I spent a weekend with him and his family, you know, and 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 we discussed the thing. I went back to Stockholm, but I made the thing work, you know. So that shows you how, how you know nice the the whole thing and, and rewarding the whole thing is. Huh? Did you try any wine when you were there? In where in Stockholm? Yeah. I remember uh, in those days, I was on a very low allowance and the alcohol uh, was probably beyond my means. You know, in in, in Scandinavia, alcohol is extremely expensive. It's uh, very heavy taxes. I remember this was in in 1986. A pint of beer was the equivalent of about $8. Oh, wow. You know, so, and and, uh, it was... You know, brutal. No, so so. Frankly, uh, I could have maybe one beer on a Saturday.
1: <laughs> it, <laughs> was, it,
3: it was very very expensive. Wine was was the expensive. Alcohol is expensive in the, in. Now it has become much more reasonable, more comparable with with Europe, etc. With with Britain, for example. But uh, in those days, uh, I I remember my. Uh, I don't remember drinking wine maybe invited by, by somebody but uh, <laughs> not, not on my own I think so, uh,
2: we got the elephant in the room right pharmacology so I'm just curious um, you know something I've always found interesting in pharmacology I think of like the Romeo and Juliet quote right uh, in this flower half medicine and poison power right or half poison and medicine power right the dose makes the medicine the dose makes the poison um, so, why pharmacology? What's the
3: ethos, and that got you into it? And what do you want people to know about the mission? Well, of that? The the uh, when I was in Uruguay, I did pharmacy. So first, I did a bachelor's in in chemistry, and then and then I did pharmacy. And the reason I did pharmacy was mainly because uh, of all the programs that <laughs> were available. Uh, you know, exp- we, we with some. I, pharmacy was the one that has had the most uh, laboratory hours, most practicals. You know? So I thought that's the way you learn doing, you know, not in lecture so much, but I want to spend time in a lab. So I did pharmacy. So uh, I became a registered pharmacist, I worked as a pharmacist uh, for a while. So pharmacology was obviously a very important part of, of pharmacy. So uh, then, when I did research, it was a mixture of things. I did I did my my PhD in the Department of Pharmacology in Cambridge. Uh, then I did did this this uh, postdoc in, in in Oxford in the car- carotid body was in the Department of Physiology, and then I did another postdoc in Massachusetts in the UMass Medical School, also the Department of Physiology. But you know things are, you know, you use drugs to, you know, uh, produce, uh, to evoke responses in, in, in cells and things. So pharmacology is always, always there. So I always, I always like, uh, pharmacology, but, uh, I mean, I thought my, my first affiliation in Uruguay was at the department of biochemistry you now. So I started teaching biochemistry, uh, then, uh, you know, when I quit, um, when I quit, um, uh, research. I started teaching. I, th- I was teaching in, a, in an offshore medical school in England, biochemistry and pharmacology. You now, and when they hired me uh, here to to uh, SDU, my first destination in Newcastle was to teach biochemistry. You now, because you said Newcastle has a first year doesn't have pharmacology. So, I I, I always like to. Thing. But pharmacology, I think, is is so important for medicine because I mean, uh, unless you 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 are a pathologist or, or a surgeon, all you are going to 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 be doing the rest of your life is prescribe drugs mainly. You no, know? so you have to diagnose and then you prescribe some pharmacotherapy. You no, know? so pharmacology is, is is really fundamental for clinical practice. You know? So, how were you
1: able to learn all of these drugs? Because like. I'm still having trouble learning, like some of these cancer drugs and um, immunosuppressant
3: drugs. And yes, it's it's so it's overwhelming. now there's no doubt mm-hmm. that it's overwhelming. But I've been doing it for many years. So once you've done it, I mean, in thirty years' time, you're going to say, "Ah, it's very easy." <laughs> <laughs> it's the name. It's the, the name. <laughs> the thing is, uh, I mean, it's a bit of brute force, no? And and, and so you just need to go over the things. Over and over and uh, and I mean all, all, the, all the, the the studies show that the way to learn is to study and retrieve. You now so that's why it's so important to have a study group. So you study and then you tell your story to your colleagues, you know to your classmates and then they tell the story to you and by telling them, you generate long-term memories. that that's the way. It works, you know that all the studies show that that's a way. So if you want to really, you know, <clears throat> get your, your your all that information, all the the names of the drugs and mechanism of action in your head, uh, that's a way to 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 do it. You know, a you, you, study group is fundamental. You know, so you 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 quiz each other, you tell each other your story, and that's a way. You gen, gen, there's nothing worse than cramming. Cramming generates short-term memories, you know. So, and it's a waste of time because then you have to learn things again to what's the point. You know, so make sure that that when you study things, you you will re- retain them. No, so so uh, you know, you study cardiovascular physiology, you don't want to, when you get to the first term, have forgotten it. No, uh, because then you have to study it again. No, so what's the point? So it's a waste of time. So, so the way to retain is to retrieve, no? and, and and there's many many studies showing that. Well, know. it's funny.
2: Uh, it is funny you mentioned studies. So I looked into more of your research here, and I saw that you studied um, the effects of closed note small groups. So I apologize if anyone gets offended out there in SGU land or gets worried. But um, in term four and term five, you can't use your laptops, your iPads, your notes for the pharmacology groups. That might scare some people. But um, I will say that I think that was a, a great decision. I don't know if you made that decision or you just were looking into the efficacy of it. But
3: yes. yes, no, we, we were. We were. I, I can see with a lot of pride uh, that we were the pioneers in, <laughs> in the school <laughs> and, uh, and in, in doing that about 10 years ago. Um, the thing is, you know, at the time I was chair of the department and we were involved in, in advising. There was not this advice, the, the advising in, so advising was, was done by, by faculty, mainly by senior faculty. So, uh, basically we were responsible for interviewing all the students who did badly in the exams. No, and that gave us a, a, a huge amount of information about you know why people do badly. You know? So people will come and I would say, you know uh, uh, you do practice questions, you do this, you do that. you find the small groups useful. and because I, I'm a big believer in the small group. The small groups, I think is you know this case-based discussions is where people learn. no, it's active learning, interactive learning. So would say, well, yeah, you know, uh, um, the day before I write the, the answer to the questions, then during the session I, I read them, and then the next day I forget them. And uh, there, there were people more honest I say, oh, I have the answer from last year. And so I just read them off my screen, <laughs> and I don't have to <laughs> learn anything. Ah, so that's... very sad. So we are really wasting uh, a a fantastic tool like small group discussion and and, and not making it productive. So I said, I need to ban any reference materials during the uh, uh, small group discussion. I remember that I, I ran that through the tutors at the time. And they say, "Oh no, it's going to be very dangerous. The students are not going to be prepared." Well, well so if you don't come, that, that, you're going to force them, no? Anyway, so we started it when I announced it. In those days, we each 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 discipline had, you know, we were separated. There was no integration. It was pharmacology, it was micro, etc. And the orientation uh, lecture, the first lecture, said, "You know, this is what we do." Everybody said, "Oh no, uh, no, my God, it was going to be terrible." And then very quickly, people said, "Well, this is very good. This is it forces me to learn." No, anyway, so I did two surveys, uh, which are in the in that paper, uh, separated by one year, and the results were very positive. No, like uh, the vast majority of the students said, "This is fantastic. This is making me learn instead of just regurgitating and reading something from a piece of paper." And, and and so I thought that that was that was a. Uh, uh, a big progress, you know, in, in, in the quality of how the small group discussion were conducted now, because, you know, instead of people reading from a piece of paper, also we ban, uh, papers to take notes because some people obsessively take notes instead of just chatting, you know. then we caved in a bit and gave people a card, but so it's a limited space. You now, so because this is to, to to discuss, it's not to read, it's not to write, it's to discuss. It's a conversation. So they make it, let's make it into a productive conversation. You now, and so that's how people learn. By you know, you tell me this. I mean, I learned a lot by teaching. You know, teaching is the best way to learn. You know, so you read something, then then you 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 have a lecture, and then by by repeating it yourself, you learn it. You learn along with the students, no? And the students sometimes come with a question and say, so I don't have that answer, but tomorrow i get back to you. So I Google it. Uh thank God for Google. And <laughs> I find the answer and I Metscape or up to date or whatever. And I learn things thanks to the the, the very smart questions. From the students, and that's what happens also in the small group. You know, a student comes with a smart question, and people say, "Oh, what will be the answer?" and so on. And the facilitator, which is a, a tough job, the job of a facilitator, is supposed to create that dynamic, you know, and uh, and, and make people interact and, and 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 tell their story. You know, so, so, so if, if you cannot explain something, you don't know it. Now, many people say, "Oh, you know, I know this, but I cannot explain it well, If you don't if you don't know how to explain it. You're lying to yourself. You, you don't know it. No. So that is going to identify your gaps. You know, so
2: I, I will say I'm a big fan of it. Once I was very stressed for the first one in term four. But, um, you know, some stress is good, right? As long as you gear it the right way. So I think prepping for the small group and having no notes really makes you it's not a passive learning process. And even I know I saw you yesterday. Um, with the drug of choice small group. And it's really where everything kind of comes together for me and consolidates it. Um, just the pronunciations alone, because you have to practice to discuss the drug name. So I find it very helpful.
3: Yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad people people appreciate it. I think that just shows that the maturity of, of the student body, you know, appreciated that, you know, you have to be challenged. And, and, and that is good. That's the way you learn. So I, I agree with, with Anthony um, in term four,
0: when I met Dr. Kalias, I, I think I was on an airplane heading to Grenada and I saw the video that he had posted about giving advice on how to approach pharmacology. And I watched the whole thing and it kind of gave me motivation to level up my approach on how I learn medicine, at least, because medicine is a different vocabulary. It's not um, something that you could read once and understand it completely. Like you said, you have to have those conversations. And it's nice that I had met friends here on the island that we have these type of conversations over dinner, over a drink, casually around at the gym. You know, We don't completely neglect it. It's becoming a part of our lifestyle now. Um, We're embodying the profession. And during that time, I got really attached to learning through technology, because obviously it's accessible to us and it's really easy to look up information. But at the same time, um, when I did my master's in neuroscience, I fell into the realm of neuroplasticity and how our brain starts to make new synapses and new connections. And I always thought if our brain has the ability to do that, mold itself in a direction where it's accommodating what we're constantly stimulating ourselves with, why not take it in a direction where I can make medicine more, more attainable and how I retain the information, how I can recall the information? So I try to rely less on technology. I try to rely more on about what I know. And I use those opportunities to kind of, if I'm having a conversation and I'm missing some information or I can't fully explain it and I feel my heart racing and I get a little short of breath and I'm like, okay, I don't fully understand this and it's, it's kind of giving me anxiety. I need to go back and review this a little bit more. But then when I explain some information and I feel confident about it and I know that, okay, if I made a mistake and a little error, that's, that's fine. If I could talk about it more openly and have confidence with it, that means that I fully understand it. And in this profession, that's going to translate with how I will interact with my patient. So, if a patient were to ask me a question, I'll give you a really good example. During my OSCE in term four, at the very end, I, I think I diagnosed a patient with diverticulitis, and at the very end, when I was discharging the patient, the SP said, "Do you think this is because of COVID?" And I know why she was asking me that question. She was testing my expertise and my confidence with my diagnosis. And at that moment, I answered her question confidently like no it's you know this is your presentation this is your diagnosis and when i walked out of there i had a moment where i think i spoke to anthony about it i'm like they're they were challenging our confidence but where do we find that confidence you know eventually you know quinn roth you guys are going to be in clinicals we're going to be in clinicals we're going to be practicing medicine and there's going to come a point where we have to start building that confidence and so when I was introduced to the small group, the pharmacology small group, where we weren't allowed to use any of our technology or any of our notebooks. I got a little frustrated at first. I'm like, how do you expect me to, you know, uh, talk about the material if I don't have any of my information? And at that moment I realized, wait a minute, no. Like, this is literally the whole point of, I guess, the initiative I had when I met Dr. Kalias about how I wanted to level up and I wanted to change my approach of medicine. I want to be able to trust myself and build my own confidence that what I'm learning, I'm able to recall it, retrieve it and discuss it Things are really vital in that you're right. If you're not prepared for the small group, um, not only does it make you feel less confident around your peers, but it makes you less confident with yourself as an individual. And in this profession, I think we should use those to our advantage to start not only forcing ourselves to recall the information, but I think also really importantly, build that confidence of knowing what you know and knowing that you don't know what you don't know. Um, And it's great that it transitioned over into term five, especially moving now into like step studying and clinical years, because if you, so I treat it serious, but I think if if students were to treat the small group where we can't come in with anything really serious, not only would it benefit them in strengthening their skills as a student to be able to pass the SGU exams, pass the boards, but it also, like paradoxically builds their confidence for clinical years, and I think that's the hidden key, and that's the hidden message in what these small groups are really for. Um, so yeah, I, I think I encourage anybody who's listening to this when you enter term four and you walk into a small group and they tell you no electronics, don't freak out. Um, it's just something that I think it, it, it will benefit you in the long run. You know, so we I, I really appreciate that, you, that that you do that. You know, As, and especially on the days where I'm not prepared, because I'll be honest, you know, I'm human. Uh, I do my best to stay on top of my material. I, I I do my best to study every day, but there's days where I fall behind, and I gotta have I have to take that L and just walk in there and say, you know what, I'm gonna let Jesus take the wheel because I don't know what's going on in this small group.
3: <laughs> no, absolutely, I mean the the thing is, it's the beauty. I mean, I used to facilitate uh, groups uh, many years ago, and there's nothing worse. Uh, than when students are not prepared, because it's 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 like getting blood from from a stone, no. So it's boring for everybody. Nobody's saying anything. Well, if people are prepared and they have their own dynamic, uh, then the facilitator can just sit back and let them do. That's that's the best you can you can really hope for in a in a in a small group discussion when the students don't need you, don't need the facilitator, and when they are well prepared and discussed and enthusiastic and they show passion for for the topic. Uh, that is you say well this group is fantastic this is working the way it should it should work you now. and and uh, that that's the most important thing that's the way a small group should should uh, should work sometimes when I go to conference and and you know about education and, and medical education he discuss with people you know, how you do this how many people do TBL and so on who's a bit different but some people tell me for example get rid of the questions you No, know? for example say give them the clinical case. But don't put the guiding questions. Let them come up with the questions and come up with the answers. The people tell me, don't give them the case in advance. Give them the case on the moment and then poof, see what they can do. I've been thinking about all this, these alternatives. Now, they're a bit obviously more challenging. I think that if they work, it would be interesting. But we have so far, we have not piloted them. What would you think about, about these alternatives? Oh man.
1: Um, (laughs) I was shaking in my boots just thinking about it.
0: (laughs) I think it'd be a good, from, from my perspective, you know, I, I want to be challenged. I love a challenge. And if I think in the real world, and I don't know if my opinion is biased because I have quite a bit of clinical experience when I was an undergrad, Um, but I worked in the emergency department for about four years and I did night shifts. I did the 7.00 PM to 7.00 AM and you never knew what was coming through those doors. And I remember there were times where I'd sit there at like two or three o'clock in the morning, uh, maybe two or three patients in the ER, you know, low acuity stuff, just like a sore throat, abdominal pain that kept them up from, from sleeping. And then out of, out of nowhere, boom, five gunshot wounds bleeding from the neck and it's like you you weren't prepared for that we were just sitting there some of us are on our phones you know drinking a little cup of coffee watching a youtube video and then all of a sudden you're on your feet you got to get ready to go there's a patient coming in bleeding out um so that that i think i think if we were to go into small group without any knowledge or any pre-knowledge of what we're going to discuss will
3: um, I guess prepare you, you you will know it's about cardiovascular, yeah. so it's, it's going to be hypertension and uh, arrhythmias or DVT and, and and MI. No, so you will know the the topic, the lectures on which it's based, but you will not have the case itself. Yeah. Which will make it interesting. It make it or really. You, interesting. Or you will have the case, so so like a bit of a hybrid. Have the case, but not the guiding questions. So we have the case in advance, for example, but you don't know what we're going to ask you. You know something like that. Something in in between to sort of like because I mean in a way in a we spoon you up you the case so you can prepare them in advance. So we are not, you're not really being challenged so much no. So you're being challenged to basically remember, uh, the answers to those questions that you prepare in advance, but in a way, uh, you, it, it's all more or less, uh, scripted, you know, but, so in,
0: but when we're in clinicals and a patient comes in, no, one's going to give us the questions we have to ask the patient. We have to start making up those questions ourselves. Yes.
3: That's what I'm saying. So, so uh, how would you feel if you did that in 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 the preclinic as you know, in the in the in the fourth and fifth term with a small group? How would you I, feel
2: I th- that? I think it might be helpful. I know that um, my pharmacology class during my master's was extremely passive, um, and yes, it did help me here a little bit, especially with your le- lectures, but not not so much because again, it was just so passive. Um, and I know our microbiome small groups are kind of like that, where they give us the case, but we don't have like the lab findings, the physical examination. And um, I think it would be cool to kind of incorporate almost like what I would call like a, a medical escape room, right? It's like the escape rooms back home where you're solving puzzles and stuff where you kind of go in with a, you know, a tabula rasa, right? You have a blank canvas. Um, you're forced to kind of review the material at large before the small group. Um, I think it would be helpful. And I think a big thing that too many students put too much undue stress on them with the small group where it's not a graded assignment. It's not supposed to be, you know, it's not the exam. It's not for points in that way. And I think that people put too much stress on themselves where it's, you're supposed to go there to learn. You're not supposed to know everything. Um, And like Kevin said, some days you're just off and you go in there and you don't remember certain things but man do you remember it after you're embarrassed because you don't know it or somebody just says something so it's a dynamic process so i think maybe trying it once in a while maybe not every small group but every other one you go in where you don't know anything it might be interesting
1: and i think oh, yeah. this is something where you really test what you know i remember earlier in this episode you talked about you learned a lot from teaching and i think a lot of it too is you learn a lot when you don't expect the what you're getting teach back method The teach-back method. And I think what this will do for a lot of students is if you were to go into a small group and truly not expect anything at all, well, then you're on your feet. As Kevin was saying, you got to think on your toes. And you're actually being challenged to really recall any information that might be required of you for this situation. So the true testament of what do you know is, well, what do you know when you don't even know what's coming? And I think that's exactly what this small group would do
0: yeah and also being able to ask the right questions you know so like last term we had an mcq session i think it was you dr dasler who wrote the question oh no it wasn't you um but there was a professor who wrote a question where he gave us a vignette and i immediately recognized that this vignette was a board style question and the vignette gave us no key for what the exam writer was actually trying to get us to answer It gave us no key he just gave us a vignette a presentation everything was all over the place and then the question was, which medication is contraindicated? And in this whole vignette, my friend and I were able to recognize that the blood pressure was extremely elevated. So when I read the vignette, I'm like, well, the one thing that I could recognize that's off is that the blood pressure is really, really high. So if you're asking me which drug is contraindicated, and the drugs were all over the place. There was a beta blocker. There was, I think there was a cancer drug on there too. There was just a bunch of random drugs that weren't from the same class. And I was like, okay, well, maybe it's the propanolol. I don't know. And so, you know, I guess a, a small group like that would also like train us students to also think or, I guess, force us to ask the right questions when the time comes, because you never really we never really know what's going to come in. If we get a patient that comes in at three o'clock in the morning, what's what's the
3: first thing you're going to ask? There are, there are a couple of issues. I mean, I think that the, the, when I used to teach, I mean, I always prefer in a way teaching biochemistry than pharmacology, don't tell anybody. No, <laughs> but biochemistry, biochemistry is a story. Everything is linked. You can start with like you end up with Krebs cycle, and so on. Everything is so. You it's it's not information you need to remember. It's things you have to understand. One, you know, it's 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 a whole narrative, very interconnected. Well, pharmacology is more like a telephone book. It's a, a list of informations no, and 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 so you know it or you don't know it that's the thing so for example you have a a, a clinical case a vignette mm-hmm. uh, in physiology or pathophysiology there's a lot of conceptual stuff behind it and so there's a lot uh, if you have a small group discussion on pathophysiology or physiology <laughs> it, it, there's, it's very conceptual there's concept principles you know and that's how to discuss in pharmacology, that's a drug of choice. Why is it? It is a drug of choice. There's no discussion, no? So, so that I can like say this condition and the drug of choice is an ACE inhibitor. Why is it not a beta-blocker? Because it's an ACE inhibitor. You know, there's not a lot that we can discuss. Okay, let's discuss why it's not a beta-blocker. All the, all the epidemiological studies show the ACE inhibitor were better it's the end of the story. So there's not a lot of conceptual stuff, you know, so that's a limitation of pharmacology in terms of what it contributes to, to, to the charm, let's say the allure of a small group discussion. You know, that's a drug of choice. Boom. What's the medication? This is it. Why, why is it? it is, you know, so there's not, not a lot to discuss. So that removes a bit of the, you know, we, people say, oh, let's do a flip classroom, let's do this uh, PBL. There's not a lot to discuss, you know, so uh, you know the question is well, what do we give to this patient? We give it this. That that end of the end of the story. So there, there's not a lot a lot of conceptual aspect to to discuss. That's a problem with pharmacology. You see, you know that that uh, that it limits the the, the fun of our case based uh, learning or TBL or PBL or what it is because it's just a fact. You know. Physiology is, is my, you, you can discuss, you know, okay, you know the channels and this, why is it happening? There are much more concepts in, in, in the narrative, no? And and so that's why pharmacology is a bit more dry in that way.
2: You know, so, sometimes it can be a little easier because I feel like uh, I left your lecture yesterday, you know, and I was like, okay. Only fluconazole works, basically. That's the
3: that's <laughs> it. Thankfully, that's that's the end all <laughs> antiparasitics is albendazole, no? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the, 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 there is a concept behind mechanism of action, etc. Like clinical aspects, but but uh, at the end of the day, boom, that's what you give the patient. No, that, that's it, you know. So so uh, it's it's not now the thing is it's uh, it's interesting to, to, for example, we talk about mechanisms of action or adverse effects. It's interesting to 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 to, to speculate. I remember, you know, I, I when I was a student, the, the the system was very passive, you know. So basically, it was very memoristic, no. And so we had oral exams, you know, but one hour or each oral exam where three people would grill you on on something. No, I remember when I went to to to, to Sweden. These two years, I did some research. And I was invited to go to activities and so on. I was invited a couple of times to uh, watch the exams of the students, you now, and uh, and this was was a combination of biochemistry, physiology, and so on, undergraduates, okay, and uh, and I remember uh, these kids, you know, blah blah blah. And they would say, okay, you know, what 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 do you think is going to happen if we block this pathway, whatever? And uh, I remember this girl saying, I, I don't know and the professor said, speculate. And I thought, wow, you know, and so the student speculated. Something completely wrong, but reasonable. You know, and I thought, damn, you know, we, we wouldn't know how to, I thought, I, when I was a student, I, I, I didn't know how to do that. To feel free, to yes. speculate, because the professor were rather intimidating. <laughs> so basically, you, you kind of, if you didn't regurgitate it right away, you were dead. No, so but this idea that feel free to present a plausible scenario explaining how this could happen. And she did. And other people did as well. And I thought this is fantastic. The idea that you know you're asking the student to speculate, a plausible explanation that may be wrong, maybe right, but it's plausible and shows that the guy is thinking out of the box. You know, and I think that is very important. I, I say in pharmacology, perhaps it's not so easy to do it because it's more like, you know, this is it or it's not. But I think that's so, so important that the student feel free to to when you, they don't know something to still present a potentially correct scenario. No? But we don't that get that opportunity when we're doing multiple choice questions. You know,
0: like
1: for boards. Oh, you'll do that a lot when you do UWorld. Mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest benefits that we're getting from your method of doing small group and definitely what the story highlights is that students grow a lot through the reflexive knowledge so how do you think in an adaptable situation and when you're in clinicals and you're asked to recall knowledge that you weren't expected to recall you might have to speculate you might have to think freely and you might have to be creative with what you know to come to an answer and another benefit that this might prove is—I mean, we keep bringing up the—you learn through teaching, and you learn through these various methods. But a method of studying that a lot of students practice is writing their own questions or using the answers and thinking backwards. That be, be out
3: there. You were blocked for you were cut cut off for a few seconds.
1: Yeah. Okay, we can edit that part. Um, using the reflexive knowledge, but definitely one of the methods that students like to. Use when they study is writing their own questions or using the answers and working backwards. So in a way, you know, being malleable with how you approach material and being creative and being able to, you know, take different aspects of what you know to arrive at a conclusion. I think that just enhances your critical thinking. And on the clerkships, when you're forced to be reflexive with your knowledge,
3: that's a really important skill to have. Absolutely. I mean, the you see, predicting questions is very, very important. so when when you're studying and you're reading something, you should be thinking what questions can come out of this paragraph? What can they ask me about this? You know, and if you think about it, pharmacology questions are very predictable. You have in it where somebody comes with certain certain symptoms. And they say, what's the drug of choice for this condition? One, or what's the mechanism of action the drug for this condition? Or third, what adverse effects you would expect uh, if, if we give this drug? Or you know, a drug is given, the guy comes three months later with adverse effects. What drug was given? Or you know, the person is pregnant, asthmatic, you know, diabetic what drug is contraindicated. There very it's a very limited number of possibilities. So when you're studying pharmacology, mm-hmm. you know, you can predict very easily. Okay, they, they may ask me, was the mechanical vice adverse effect. So, so I think it's a very productive way to study, to continually be thinking, what can these people ask me about this? You know, predict the question. That's a very important tool. Yeah.
2: You know, something I would probably tell term ones, I think is really important too, is um, you got to really hit signal transduction and the autonomics so, so hard in the beginning because people think it's fundamental. I will have to remember mm-hmm. it for very long, but um, it's so helpful with pharm- pharmacokinetics and pharmacology questions because, you know, you have cholinergics, you have muscarinics, anti-muscarinics, where if you know something can only go up or go down and, you know, yeah, it's tissue specific, but um, I think I was doing one of your questions yesterday and it was something about uh, Parkinson's patient and they were having um, worse effects. They were having worse Parkinson's. And I didn't remember the drugs really in the, in the answer choices, but there was only one that was, that was an anti-dopamine drug and it was the metroclobamide for the diabetic gastroparesis. And as long as you remember that, okay, it's bringing dopamine down, that's the last thing you want for a Parkinson's patient. So if you kind of remember the receptors and it's a little rough at first because it's a whole new language you're learning, but it really helps with the drugs because you can just kind of fall back on if it's going up or if it's going down, as simple as that.
3: My, my, my PhD was, was in signal and transaction, and uh, it's a topic that I, I, I love. But I taught uh, in different schools, including this one, signal and transaction, I would say for a period of maybe 15 years. You know, and uh, and I always introduce that lecture saying this is the most important lecture you're gonna have in your life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because this connects everything, this explains everything, the action of drugs, the action of hormone transmitters, everything. You know, this is the most important lecture: cell signaling, you know, psych IP3 receptor, G protein. This is is the is a super high yield topic, now. Huh? Mm-hmm.
0: And in term one, when we were introduced to pharmacology for FTM2, I believe, I think that's really the whole, the goal in that pharmacology in term one, right? Kind of just understand signal transduction from a pharmacological perspective.
3: Correct. That, that was the the the, the 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 way I put together those those topics. That that topic actually, that that module, uh, was an initiative uh, from the previous dean of basic sciences, Dr. pensick back in two thousand. So the, the first time it was given in two thousand and nine, if I remember correctly. And the, and the idea, basically, the way he put it to us was that. People are scared of pharmacology. We need to induct them slowly, like give them a, a mini dose before. And then what can we do? And so we came up with this little module with uh, basic principles and autonomics that we we put in the in, in year one, you no, know, as a bit of a introduction, so that when they will get the full dose uh, in the second year, they would be, they would not be so, so traumatized, apparently. Uh, so that, I think uh, seeing how, you know, the, 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 the general action of drugs, how drugs act on receptors and so on, that's a fundamental, that's a key uh, information that we want to give the students, you know? so how drugs act—they don't act in a vacuum. You need to; they, they need to bind to something uh, to 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 act. And then a little bit of other uh, can and cholinergics just to kind of like also to link with physiology that is running at, at the same time. No? And then, a how, uh, sorry, you can go ahead. Uh, I have a question that's a little
1: anecdotal, but. Um, We jump topics. I mean, Kevin, do you have something to comment for Dr. Dosta? Mine's gonna be a complete turn left before we go for
0: oh okay. So I was gonna ask, um so in term one, uh I recently had a friend when I was in term four ask me, you know, how they should be studying the drugs in term one, because obviously we get thrown. an an abundance of drugs. And I told them, I think I learned from my mistake in FTM, where I also just started forcing myself to just recall the drugs. But I think I realized in term for that Dr. Dasso's message, SGU's message during that time, it's foundations to medicine for a reason. You're building the foundation to understand the stuff that's going to come later on that I'm seeing now. And understanding the signal transduction pathways, I can't tell you how many times now when I do board questions, I how I get answers correct just by understanding basic physiology from, from signal transduction. I might not know the name of the drug or I might not recognize what the drug is, but a lot of times the board questions will give you enough information to reason it out. And having that basic knowledge of understanding how tr- a transmitters works, how signals work can actually help you with answering a lot of these questions. And, um, I see that, I see how that benefits now in term four and in, and well, sorry, now in term five and how it helped me out through term four. So I'm just curious now, um, moving from basic sciences into clinical years, when we go into the hospital, we do rotations and stuff, you know, is there a different approach that you've seen students take when they're in clinical years and how they study pharmacology? Because I think as doctors, the one thing that we're going to face we're going to be dealing with is you know pharmaceutical companies coming out as like hey promote this drug um hey pre- prescribe this drug and i like like you said before the doc is the doc because that's what the fda says is the doc but do you think there's going to be barriers that we're going to face as as future physicians where um okay the doc is this drug but i have a pharmaceutical rep telling me to prescribe this one and they're going to buy me a cruise a cruise vacation for two weeks like what do i do you know um so does like when that happens are we Are we, like, I guess, challenging ourselves to continue studying the pharmacology? Like, okay, this is DOC, but this one's also being introduced. Like, do you think pharmacology is that one subject in our career that we're going to be constantly, constantly having to be on our toes with? Or is it like, would it be pathology, you know, or biochemistry? You know, I'm not too sure, but it, it just seems like, like, if you had to give us advice moving on to clinical years, and I guess eventually into our profession, you know what would be the holy Grail advice for pharmac? how we approach pharmacology? knowing the perspective that we may be getting it from.
1: If I can interject real quickly before and just give my little comment onto that, uh, in going into clinical years, something that I've been paying attention to, and I don't know if I'm predicting the answer here, but adverse effects and contraindications have been at the top of my mind with every single drug that I've been uh, kind of studying for step one because, at first, I always thought, oh, okay, what's the drug of choice? But adverse effects and contraindications have been like my my highlight for every single thing I've studied. So I just wanted to put that little piece in because I, I, we're talking about the pharmaceutical companies, but for the drug
3: itself too. I mean, I think that, that I mean I have I'm ignorant about clinical years. You know, I have no involvement in the in the clinical year programs and so on. So I've, I've just restricted to these two years here in in Grenada. But one thing I can say is that we are very fortunate to live in a world where the, the amount of reliable, reputable, serious information is huge. You know, you have up-to-date, you have medical letter, you have prescriber's letter, you have access medicine. Uh, you know, there's no shortage of reliable sources. So, so if somebody, you know, the the, the rep of, of any company comes and tells you, you know, uh, this is better than a drug of choice. And we're going to buy you a cruise down, down the Caribbean. I mean, blah, 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 blah. that's corruption, first of all, but, but, uh, you don't need to believe anybody because at, 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 at your fingertips, you have the right information in two seconds. You know, you go, was it <laughs> you know you know, RxList, uh, has the labels of all the FDA, uh, medications, uh, Medscape, you know, some are free, some you pay, I mean, but, but, uh, you want to see what the drug of choice for a thing, you, you type uh guideline for DVT, and they say, this is what you give. You know, it takes you two seconds, you know, so, so that you don't need to do any guesswork or even open a book, you know, uh. You know that that's what I'm saying. So you are here, or or in 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 Africa, Europe, whatever. Everybody has access to the same mm-hmm. reputable, reliable, serious uh, information that you can trust. And it will tell you, you know, book Karen Island, 2023, say that the drug of choice for for diabetes is this, for asthma is this, for DVT is this, for MI is this. This is what you do. You know, so so we are, I think we are very fortunate. Uh, that we live in a world where the sources of your organization are, are, are abundant and there are many, very many reliable ones. So, in the clinical years, you know, whenever you don't have any problem, you, you know where to resort. You know, us a, you know, get us yeah. up to date. Prescribers' letter, for example, so a letter. Is I don't know if you're familiar. We are subscribed to it. It's fantastic. You know, so it's 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 a it's a, a website dedicated directly to uh prescribers. So it says you know you know it summarizes basically the the guidelines and so on. So it's 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 extremely useful, and you have many like this. You got to
0: love technology, man, because that's the one thing that I've always seen even residents do when I was in the hospital. Uh, sometimes residents will think about a drug they have to give a patient and then they'll forget the contraindications. And again, we're human. That's OK. But then being able to watch them access certain platforms to get the information that they need. But then also having the background knowledge of why it's a contraindication, obviously, is why we're the doctors. isn't? But, you know, it just it makes it nice. It makes it it gives us, I guess, a sense of security that. There are information out there that we can easily access when the time comes to make the correct choice, at
3: least. Exactly. So, so, so. I mean, for me, for example, as a PhD, as a non-medical practitioner, you know, as an educator. All this information is is fantastic, not just just to put together a lecture. You know, I have you know 25 different sources. Dynamed, for example, dynamed is is just basically a summary in the form of bullet points of all the current guidelines. I mean, there's so much uh, in in available. You know, and as I said, you know, our library is fantastic in the number of, of sources that it provides. I mean, you know, when you're in a clinical year, you, you're not going to be out in a vacuum, you're going to be, again, connected uh, to all these sorts of information. No? And so there's, there's nothing to, to worry about. No, the information is there. We're very so
1: fortunate to be studying yeah. medicine at this time. Sorry? We're very fortunate to be studying medicine in this current era of technology. Absolutely.
3: Absolutely. I mean, when I, I mean, I, I come from molecular pharmacology. When I started teaching, you know, 20, 22 years ago, uh, pharmacology for, for medical students, uh, I came from a a, a very molecular non-clinical. I had to learn a lot of clinical pharmacology, you know, and the fact that, you know, uh, the computers existed, <laughs> and the, and websites like Medscape, uh, Merck Manual in those days was very popular, It still is, and so on uh, existed was was fantastic. So I I learned as as I went along. You know, sometimes you would ask me a question uh, about something, some disease. I said, I'm sorry, you know. Get back to you tomorrow. And I will look it up and say, okay, this is what 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 it is. No? So, the the first thing is to recognize your ignorance. So you never never tell tell a, a fancy story, but you know, So I don't know about this. I'll look it up, and also you know, I I, I became a, a clinical pharmacologist uh, very fast thanks to to the abundance of these sources of information. Huh?
2: Speaking of um, you know modern medicine and modern pharmacology, uh, when you think about you know recent innovations in pharmacology, is there something that sticks out to you that you consider the most important as far as um, its effect on patient outcomes?
3: Well, let me tell you one thing. I mean, I still have the book on which I studied pharmacology in nineteen eighty-one. Okay, it's a good Gilliman, like I know, like two thousand pages. I still have it. And it was forty years ago, no? and I would say that probably eighty percent no I mean that is, made revolutionary changes and you know? also aCE inhibitors didn't exist ARBs r b didn't exist uh, prostaglandins in the eighties were in the process of being discovered you know in 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 biochemically and then they became you know uh, drugs uh you know tyrosine kinase inhibitors for cancer didn't exist, and most of the anti-cancer drug, didn't exist. Monoclonal antibodies didn't exist. I mean, we still didn't know that nitric oxide existed in those days. You know, they call it endothelial factor. No, so nobody knew how nitroglycerin actually. <laughs> Worked, you know. So it's it's unbelievable. I mean, the, the 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 drugs we have now, for example, especially cardiovascular drugs, I would say, you know, for hypertension, uh, ACE inhibitors, ARBs, all this, you know, are, are 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 I would say one of the most important, you know, introductions in the in the, for for most people because hypertension is such a popular. uh, Condition, no? so all the, the 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 arsenal we have now, for example, for, for hypertension, you know, it's it's uh, fantastic how we how we, it it, it happens so quickly in the nineties and so on. No? So I w- this I w- is
1: actually. Oh, sorry, is there more? Go go. So this is actually the uh, perfect segue to my question, um, and it, it involves a little bit of science fiction, but and it's a little anecdotal. So. Um, I want to be a cardiothoracic surgeon in my career. That's what my ambition is. And recently, I went to a conference in San Diego, it was STS 2023. And I had a conversation with Dr. James McPherson, who is a private practice uh, practitioner in New Jersey. And he talked to me about how the field is dying because, and this is something that I appreciate of pharmacology, but the power of pharmacology to uh, treat advanced disease. Uh, And that because of the developments of cardiovascular drugs, uh, things like advanced cardiovascular disease that leads to heart surgery uh, has been decreasing more and more, you know, as these drugs are becoming more developed. So now using your science fiction hat, do you have a prediction as to where pharmacology is going? And do you think this is true that our drugs are so advanced that our careers are unfortunately becoming obsolete?
3: (laughs) (laughs) I I'm very bad at predicting the future. Frankly, uh, not I don't have much of an imagination in that respect. I mean, you see uh, a proliferation of monoclonal antibodies, no? And uh, but uh, I mean, the, the the thing people have to recognize is that drugs don't cure anything. Basically, they just uh, give you relief of your symptoms, no? And, and so if you can have uh, you know maybe a, a a surgical solution that probably is going to be more permanent than having to have a drug every all the time. I mean, I, I think that that uh, the drugs continue to do what they do, but they are just symptomatic treatments. No, so so I I I mean, science fiction. I mean, we could think of like genetic therapy that will actually cure people. No, so you stop being asthmatic, you stop being diabetic. The, the, or you stop having Parkinson or or Alzheimer's no, that, that would be I think that the, the, the super fantasy uh, the, the most desirable that we we, 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 we can imagine you know? there was some sort of therapy that actually cured things and not just uh manage the the, the signs and symptoms you know? so that that you know there are some approaches uh currently you know but that would be not particularly for for neurological degenerative uh, disorder like parkinson for example you No, know, uh, my father died with parkinson one of the most horrific uh, things to see somebody deteriorate with with, with parkinson disease you know people have huntington people have alzheimer this kind of uh, degenerative dis- disorders uh if there was some sort of way of like, you know, arresting the, the disease that would, that would be uh fantastic, this is not a prediction it's a, a wish, you know, in a way, you know, yeah.
1: Of course. I mean, uh, the best way to really look at it is I wish that these drugs are so advanced that we are able to cure advanced and terminally ill diseases. And, you know, as unfortunate as it would be to lose a uh, clientele, I, I'm for the better of humanity i i would want these drugs to be advanced enough that we wouldn't have to go to something like cardiovascular surgery and invasive procedures
3: exactly
0: yeah so i just wanted to add a little something to what you guys were discussing it's it's something that i've also thought about too when we study these drugs so sometimes i think to myself why does it have to be a hundred drugs for one disease and sometimes i start to think like maybe there's you know, monetary greed in there, like, let's just make a drug that has a different MOA, but that's the same thing for the patient. But at the end of the day, I think we also have to be able to recognize what you guys just said that I think at the end of the day, we're just trying to make the drug that's going to help the patient in the long run, you know, cure the disease, or, you know, save a life. I think that's really the end goal here as physicians.
3: Oh, but they, I mean that, that's true as well. There are many Me Too drugs that are completely unnecessary and, and are, are, are designed and synthesized uh, and introduced in the market just because it's a way to make money. You know? So somebody makes a drug, we we make a derivative or an analog. That does more or less the same, doesn't have any advantages over that other drug, but it opens as an issue in the market. You know? So that you know, big pharma obviously uh is, is a business, you no. Know? So many people produce drugs that maybe are not necessary. And that's why countries have a, a, a national formulary, you no, know, in which they restrict the number of so they choose, for example, there are five uh, diuretics that do more or less the same thing. They say, okay, this. One is is the best one. This is going to make it into our formulary. We are not going to buy any other of the the other four drugs. So many countries have a limited formulary in, in that way. Now to avoid you know multiplication of unnecessary medications.
1: Okay. So I think that's going to be a good way to wrap
0: up the episode. Um Dr. Dasso, this was a great conversation. Um I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much.
3: No, thank you for having me. Thank you.
0: Is there any last minute advice you'd like to give any of the SGU
3: students? Not really. I think we 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 spoke a bit uh, quite a bit about uh, how to lay out. One thing, no, let me add one thing. Yes, uh, I believe, you know, in the same way that the, the small group discussions are, are a fundamental tool for learning, I think that, you know, and I said that a study group is uh, the best way to, to study, you know, so you quiz each other. I always recommend students to use the answer handouts of the small groups. You know the, the the answer that we post after the small group session. Those handouts, I think, they are a very useful tool to study in a group. So you know the the lectures themselves can be a bit cold, a bit boring, but the the cases give a, a little flesh to the topic. You know, so you grab the, the the handout and then you use it to quiz each other, because it has everything there. You have the case diagnosis drug of choice, potential adverse effects. So I think it's a very good way to study in a group, you know, and quiz each other by using the case and the questions, the, the guiding questions that we put in the for for the cases. So I would re- recommend people to, you know, make use of those handouts as as a tool for studying. Gotcha.
0: Okay. Fellas, do you have any last-minute questions for Dr. Dasso?
1: thank you this was an amazing insightful and, and very perspective episode on on a on a very fundamental component of our careers
0: and what better way to do that but with the man himself of dr dasso
1: <laughs>
0: thank you very much and yeah have a great day yeah thank you so much for coming on this is going to be a wrap on this episode with dr dasso thank you for listening and we look forward to recording another one for you guys